song to lift up the name of the Lord. There's a song saying that says, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. We serve an awesome God who is exalted high above the throne, who is concerned about us, his people. And with this awesome God in our mind, let's turn to him one more time. Father, Lord, we come right now desperate to hear a word, Lord, from you. Speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening. Father, Lord, we pray all of you, Lord, and none of this vessel that we hear all that you have for us, that we might grow and be the children of God you called us to be, we pray. Amen. Amen. We want to look again to the uh, first Samuel in the Old Testament, looking at fourth chapter, uh, reading verses 12 to verse 22. I'll be reading from the New Living uh, Translation. As we look at this word, I want you to truly listen to the events that are happening here and look at which event causes everyone to react to. If you're not there, please say, hold on. I'll hold on as we will definitely begin this journey together, hopefully arrive to the same conclusion. Reading 1 Samuel 4th chapter, starting at verse 12, and we'll go all the way to verse 22, the end of this chapter. Seems that we're all there. If, wait to ask one more time. If you're not there, say, hold on. Praise the Lord. If you are there, say, let us begin. A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefield and arrived at Shiloh later the same day. He had torn his clothes and put on dust on his head to show his grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle, for his heart trembled for the safety of the ark of God. When the messenger arrived and told what had happened, an outcry resounded throughout the town. What is all the noise about, Eli asked. The messenger rushed over to Eli, who was 98 years old and blind. He said to Eli, I have just come from the battlefield. I was there this very day. What happened, my son, Eli demanded. Israel has been defeated by the Philistines, the messenger replied. The people have been slaughtered, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed. And the ark of God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned what had happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near her time of delivering. When she heard the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer or pay attention to them. She named the child Achabod, which means where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and, the, and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel. The ark of God has been captured. 
Praise God for his word. You may be seated. If you help me announce this title to your neighbor, Akabad. Tell your other neighbor, that's right, Akabad. How can you name a sermon title Akabad? Good question. Hopefully you'll come to the conclusion with me. Looking at this text, we want to get into Akabad and who he is before I can get there. Journey with me, if you will. Why did you come to church this morning? Did you come here because someone told you it was a good thing to do? Uh, did you come here because you have to meet your quota? Have you ever been here this quarter? Did you come here because you made a bet to somebody, I'll show up to church? Or did you come here because you felt shame, you felt guilt, I might as well be in this place? I'm asking all of these questions because sometimes these are the reasons that many of us come inside of these doors. But I want to highlight that there should be something bigger and greater than that. If we look at why we do the things that we do, we oftentimes do them because we want a result and something to come out of it. Can I highlight to you that we call, oftentimes call the place of worship, the church that we come to, we call it the house of God. Can I ask you a question? Did you greet anybody when you walked in the house? Can I go a little bit further? Did you not just greet anybody, but did you greet the host? <laughs> if this is the house of God, then whose house is it? If it's God's, then I should at least greet it, the host. We know that it's rude when someone comes in your house, eats up your food, sits at your table, but does not say anything to you. You can be clear to tell them that's rude and disrespectful. But when we come into the house of the Lord and we eat up his food, we drink of his drink, we worship and celebrate, but we say nothing to him, that's rude and disrespectful. What I'm trying to get at is here that when we come into the house of God, we've come to see him. Amen. We did not come to see who else was going to be here. We did not come to see how well someone will preach, how well someone will sing, how well someone will pray. Or sometimes we do the other things. We see how long will they sing, how long will they preach, how long will they pray. We did not show up for that, but we showed up to see, will I see my Lord? If you come with that anticipation, if come with that expectation, then you left your house excited. Lost somebody. I don't know about you, but I remember when my parents told me we were going on vacation, I would count down the days we was going to get out of school because I was too excited with anticipation of going to see my cousins. Can I help someone else out? It's Christmas time. I guarantee if you tell a child Santa Claus is coming to town, that child's face perks up and they get excited and they start making a list of all the things they want when Santa shows up. Let me bring it to the grown-ups. Can you understand that we serve a God that's bigger and greater and more wonderful and benevolent than any other creature you can create? And I can tell you that he's waiting to see you, to bless you with everything that's on your list. Won't you be just excited as that child to come and see where he is <laughs> and to come to be where he is? We should be desperate 
in anticipation of seeing the manifestation of God. And God's manifestation, the way he is made known, is by his glory. His glory is his radiance, is his splendor. His glory is also his character and his conduct. And his glory is also just who he is. I read it somewhere, I believe it was in James McDonald's book, The Vertical Church, says his glory is like, is to, to describe God's glory and his character is similar to saying this, what heat is to fire, what cold is to ice, what wet is to water. It is what it is. <laughs> God's glory is just who he is. And, and, and look at how his glory can change circumstances. The children of Israel who are, are able to realize as they outcry because they understand what the glory of God means. Because it, it was his glory that led them by day by cloud. It was his glory that led them by night by fire. It was his glory that led them over the Red Sea. It was his glory that shook the mountaintops when he spoke like a consuming fire. And it said Moses walked in. <laughs> It was his glory that they would stand up in front of their tents as they saw Moses go into the tabernacle. They would stand and watch as the glory ascended upon the tabernacle. Moses goes in and talk. Once the glory goes up, they would leave and go back into their tents and worship God because they understood that his glory was present. We want to see this. But look where the glory does not show up. The glory of the Lord will not be present as much as you love all your groups, your clubs, and your associations, just think about it for a moment. Uh, you go to a PTO meeting, you go to a frat meeting, you go to a sorority meeting, you go to an Elks meeting, you go to a Lodge meeting, you go to a community board meeting, his glory will not be there, but it'll be a whole bunch of other stuff there. And how many a times we've gone to those things and we sometimes feel encouraged, but sometimes we feel depressed. We feel let down. We feel upset. Some of us turn the TV off when you watch those same board meetings on TV, just get disgusted, you turn it off because you just can't stomach anymore. But yet when you look at it, that when you bring people, collective, who confess and believe Jesus Christ as a Lord and their Savior, and they come together in one place, desperately deciding to worship and magnify the Lord who, who reigns forever and ever, the one and only true living God, it's amazing how things start changing. Lives start changing. People start changing. That's the glory of the Lord. And that's why, that's why they were in the outcry, because the glory has left. Because if you look here, Eli dies. Do you notice where he dies? He did not die at the news of his sons were dead. It says that he died when he heard that the ark of God has been captured. That caused him to fall out his seat. And break his neck. Y'all can't say it. It wasn't that his sons died. It was because the ark of God has been captured. Because if you look closely, he says he was waiting outside the gate, seeing what was going to happen to the ark of God. Because he wasn't concerned about. Now, you might be wondering, why wasn't the father concerned about his children? That's a very 
good question. You look in 1 Samuel, second chapter, verse 27 says this simply. One day a man of God came to Eli, gave him this message from the Lord. I revealed myself to your ancestors when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest. And as he served me, I assigned the sacrifice offerings to your priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and, and they have become fat from the best offering of my people of Israel. One, he points out to them, reason why you're fat, because you're not doing right. You and your sons are taking more of the sacrifices than you should have, that you are eating and getting fat off of the people which should be given to me. And I've given you the privilege to serve in my temple because of the lineage that you've come from, but you decided that it was better for you to eat and rob me. And so look what he told him. He tells them that your children will die of violence. Look at verse 33. Those who survive will live in sadness and grief, and their children will die a violent death. And to prove that, I will, to prove that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. You see that? That's why he wasn't concerned. God already told him, them wicked boys, they're going to die. Because you didn't raise them, right? I've warned you. You did not repent. You did not chastise them. So now they're going to die. Your two boys serving in the temple, acting a fool, are going to die. So that's why he was not concerned about his children when they went out. Because God has already told them because of their waywardness, they're going to suffer and die. But instead, he was concerned about what's going to happen to the ark of God. When you look in this fourth chapter, look, look how excited they were when the ark of God came into their camp. They were excited because they realized, they realized, look closely here, they realized the presence of God meant that they were unbeatable. And so when they were defeated, they, they had to go back to God and say, God, what happened? They're like, God, what happened that we got beat by these Philistines? You know, those Philistines uh, that you had Samson beat up, David has beaten up, other judges have beaten up them same Philistines that, that want to come uh, against us. To, how, how is it, how is it that we lost to them? These Philistines have always been a thorn in children of Israel. So this is building up to that, how we see how David goes against them, against Goliath, and how they rejoice. But at this moment, at this time, the Philistines are saying that we can beat them and make them our slaves. We've um, done already done to 4,000. They went out. They came back crying. So what can we do? I know what. We go get the ark of God. That'll work. That'll work every time. Because if we bring the ark with us, that means God's with us. And if God's with us, we're unbeatable. We can't be beat. And so they got excited because they said they brought the ark of the covenant where the living God sits on the cherubims. They were excited because it says they're bringing where he sits. They says, ah, this is the awesome God. And you see how excited they were? They got so excited that they shout, the earth shook. And since they got so excited, the Philistines became scarce. Then we just beat them down. Now they shouting and excited. What's going on? Uh-oh, they got a God. Now, if you look in your text, you see they got a lowercase g. Because the Philistines believe in, 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 in poly. 
theists, so they believe in many gods. And so therefore, they assumed the Israelites had a, another god that was going to fight. And they said, We've, that's that same god that did that to the Egyptians. They're going to do that to us. But they encouraged each other. Oh, you be strong, Philistines. We go get them. And so look what happened. They bring the Ark of the Covenant. They bring Hophni and Phinehas. They come on out. Hophni and Phinehas, they no good. Serving God, no good. God already told them they no good. And they with this, with the Ark of the Covenant, which is good. Which pointing out to us that some of us, we try to act like, like we're good because we come to a good place, but we know we no good. And these no good rascals, with the good covenant of God, go with them out and to fight, and the defeat was worse. Was worse. And now, now Cassius, not only was it worse, but the defeat was even worse because now they lost the Ark of the Covenant. Losing the Ark of the Covenant, this is what it means to them. When they lose the Ark of the Covenant, they lost where they present their sacrifices. They lost to what the priests would be serving every day. They lost to the opportunity of God's presence ascended because when his presence ascended, it ascended above the Ark of the Covenant. So they lost everything that had their nature. And so that's why they were in the uproar in the city crying like, oh, my gosh, who care about Hophni and Phinehas? I'm good for nothing rascal. They were stealing me from my offering. I can care less losing them. Good riddance. I'm glad they gone. But what, the Ark? The Ark of the Covenant is gone? So when the glory left, when the glory left, all hope left, look what happened to Phineas's wife. She was giving birth to a son. The midwives realized, oh, every Israel woman is blessed when she can give birth to a son. I know you may be dying, but look, you have hope because hope is in your son. Your line can live on. But see, look, what hope do I have without God? What do I have without God? That says that she could not be encouraged because she already understood my husband is gone. My father-in-law was gone. They were serving the living God. And the Ark of the Covenant is gone, which means the glory is gone. I will name my child Aqaba because where is the glory? And we see here that her, de- her depression came from the lack of his presence. Why did we come to church? We should come to church to see his presence. We should come to church to experience his glory. We should come, as the psalm says, lift up ye gates and ye be ye lifted up. Who is the king of glory? The Lord God, strong and mighty. We should come, as the Hebrew writer says, that Jesus is the exact image and replication of his glory. We should come, as the gospel writer John says, we beheld his glory and saw grace after grace, mercy after mercy, love after mercy. We should come to this place and say, Lord, we need your glory. Then look at the other side. So we come, God, to give you glory. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the Lord's glory. You understand the heavens have no more, no voices, right? 
and they can declare his glory. It says it goes throughout the world without a sound. We have voices, and we can declare his glory. We can give him glory. We succumb to the place of God, realizing that, Lord, we cannot make it without your presence. Look at Psalm 53. When David sinned against the Lord, you know what his, his worst part of his prayer was? That he realized that what could happen to him was this, remove not your spirit from me. He understood God. I understand. I sin. I'll take my punishment. I'll take what you're going to give me, but don't remove yourself from me. Does anybody understand why they were upset? Because when God left, they were without hope. They were without protection. They were without provision. They realized that what are we going to do because the glory has left. And when you saw when the glory led, now I want you to, if you read on the fifth chapter, when the glory of the Lord went, the they ark of the covenant went, they, the people, the Philistines decided, hi, look what we got. We got another God. We're going to put it with our God. That God could not stand in the presence of the ark of the covenant. And, and so they said, wait a minute, our God getting jacked up. <laughs> he face down, falling apart. <laughs> Remove this ark. And so they put another place. They get cursed. All right, all right. Just give it back <laughs> to the Israelites. We don't want this ark of the covenant. God was showing how terrible he is that, yes, the Israelites were not obeying me. They were disobeying me. But catch this, my glory is still my glory, and I will not give it to another. And so what we need to learn from this is this, that how am I living to give him glory? Because if you look at what happened to Hophni and Phinehas, they were not living to give him glory. They thought that he was a tricket. They thought he was some lucky charm, that if we walk with him and talk with him, we do these things, we ought to be good, but that won't help you out. We have to serve God with a sincere heart. We cannot be going through the motions. Just think, if I walk in the church, I'm in the church. No, you walk in a building. The church is the body of Christ. And Jesus desires for us to bring glory to his Father. He desires for us to bring glory to the Father. And Jesus himself prayed, God, may I glorify you. And so if we are desperate for the glory of God, then we have to look into, Lord, how can I glorify you? Well, one, we realize that, Lord, I can't go through and fake it. I need your presence. And if we're desperate for his presence, this is what we'll do. This is what we'll do. We will not look for God to, to come in and fit in our plans. We'll look to God and say, God, what are your plans? We will not try to get, bring God in because this is what people do. As Hophni and Phinehas and the Israelites did, say, okay, it's not working. I'm bringing God in it. I need a job, so I'm just going to throw it at God. God, give me this job. I filled out no applications. Not working on my education. I'm not even willing to, 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 to be faithful, so I'm just going to say, but God is going to give me a job. Some people just think that. They're like, I'm just going to sit down, and God's a good luck charm, so I'm just going to do this, and he's going to just do this for me. No, 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 no. 
doesn't work that way. Some people think this too, that, that, that our God, if, if I can manipulate God, I can get something out of him. So, 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 so God, I'm going to trick you today. I'm going to give a hundred dollars today and you're going to give me a thousand dollars. Then when I get my thousand dollars, I'm going to tie from that and give you another, another hundred dollars. But after I get my other money, I'm not going to give anymore. And, and we think that God cannot see our intentions, that we just say, if I keep on giving, all of a sudden, I'm going to get blessed, and he's going to take care. God's not manipulated by this. Or we give these cop-out prayers that, Lord, if you get me out this mess, I promise, I, I won't go back into that again. And, and as soon as he gets you out of that, will you right back in the mess? Because if we're desperate for his glory, we leave everything that's unlike him away because we want to be in his consuming fire. Do you understand when his glory shows up, what happens? Miraculous things happen. Go and look what his glory did to those other out of gods. He smashed them. He destroyed them. He let them know that I am God. And they had no choice. So we got to get that back to Israel. <laughs> We got it. And when, and when Cass says, they, they got so scared that they said, Israelites go. So they came into Israel. Then some people in Israel looked into the Ark of the Covenant. They died. And when they realized how holy it really was, they said, Levites, who God told to come, please come get this. And they took it back to Shalom. You look at Shalom. Shalom was a place of rest. And not only was it a place of rest, it's where God rested. And where God rests is where the tabernacle was. And where the tabernacle was was where they always wanted to be. And where they wanted to be is where they traveled for their festivals. They would travel to come up to Shiloh. You, uh, Deacon was talking about how Hannah was praying. Boy, she went to Shiloh and prayed there. For they went there annually to the festival to worship their God. What I'm trying to point out here is that everybody realized that if we wanted to worship God, we had to go where he was. We want to come to this place and to worship his presence and be in his presence and be in awe of who he is and realize that only God can bring transformation to our minds. God can change our hearts. God can curb our appetites. He can bring families together. He can bring communities together because we turn to him. Because of God, he helps us to learn how to be more benevolent to one another and love on one another. Because of God, he helps us to forgive one another. Because of God, we know how to be gentle to one another. Because of God, we are able to show other people a glimpse of his glory because we realize it's not by me but by his grace. And when we show them the grace of God is working in us, we're giving them a glimpse of his glory because you understand we can only give glimpse of his glory because no man can stand in his presence and live. I'm closing with this. That Moses realized the wickedness of the children of Israel and God was done with them. And he repented and said, Lord, 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 don't, don't start over with me. Please forgive them. And God said, all right, all right, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I'm just my paraphrase. And, and so, so now Moses is like, well, if I'm good, God, can I see your face? God's letting him know, I'm about to make a decision here, but it's not because you asked. I sow mercy to whom I choose to sow mercy. So it's not because you asked, it's because I've chosen to, because I have that sovereign right of doing so. But Moses was asking just to make sure God did not leave them. He said, I want to make sure I'm st I see you. Because if I see you, I know you're with me. Let me throw this one in for free. Y'all know how people say, I got your back way back. 
Moses trying to make sure, God, I don't want you way back. I want you right back with us and leading us as you always been. So God said, all right, you can't see my face and live, but go up in this high place in those rocks, and I will cover you over, and I'll let you see my trail, you'll see my back, and I'll declare myself to you. And when he went over him, he said, glory, he said, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is good, and his mercy endure forever, and his love is an ever kindness. His grace and mercy endure down to the generations and to the generations. And I started thinking about how God, how does it go down from the generations unto the generations? And then you look in the gospel of Matthew, some 42 generations. <laughs> Somebody was born in a manger named Jesus, and we were able to be held his glory. How does it go down from generation to generation? Because the blood never lose its power. And because of that, we can daily and continually tell somebody you can meet him, you can know him, you can experience him, and you can see transformation happening in your life. That you don't have to be Ichabod. And wonder where is the glory? You don't have to be Eli broken in pieces. I heard somebody say like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> but yet you can just be in his presence. And to know, Lord, no matter the earth be moved. No matter if the, rock, the mountains fall down. No matter if the rain comes. I know that you're still God. And I'm waiting to see your presence. And I'm waiting to see your glory in totality. But now I'll ta- I'm, I'm satisfied with glimpses. Because every time you wake up in the morning, that's a glimpse of his glory. <laughs> every time you're able to take another step, that's a glimpse of his glory. Because he is ex- allowing us to see his sunlight, allowing us to see the air, allowing us to move in this place. And we can realize that one day, one day, his son's going to come back so that we can forever see his glory and totality. He will change us because we can't stand in this way and before him. But he'll change us that we'll be able to see him. And you know what? It'll be the glorious day. Because we'll be before our glorious God. So why did you come here this morning? Did you come to see his presence? Did you come to seek his face? Well, let's seek his face right now. Lord, we come right now, oh God, to worship your God, to magnify your God, to forget about ourselves, and to concentrate on you. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us the times, Lord, we made it all about us and not about you. Lord, we repent right now. Lord, forgive us for we became more career-oriented than we were to be your children. Forgive us, Lord, that our children took priority, Lord, than you being our father. Forgive us, Lord, when we allow income and, and material things to blind us of your forever presence in our lives. Father, Lord, we don't ever want to see your glory leave us. Father, we don't want to see you remove yourself from us. And, Lord, we realize that that only happens because of wickedness and our sin. And so right now, God, we want to repent and turn away from such things. And, Lord, we want to continue to allow you to work in us and on us through your Holy Spirit. That you continue to form us and shape us in your way, O God. That you continue to open up the eyes of our hearts that we see clearly the hope of your calling for us. That, Lord, that our hearts will be broken with things that break your hearts, oh God. That your joy, Lord, will be our, our, our joy, almighty God. And your sorrow will be our sorrow, almighty God. That, Father, Lord, you'll give us that great mind, the mind of Christ that will look to lift up one another, Lord, and encourage one another, not tear down. 
That, Father, Lord, you'll help us to be more forgiving, more merciful, more gentle, more kind, showing more self-control, having more patience, and most of all, Lord, your love. Lord, we're praying that when others see us, Lord, they know that we are your disciples by how we love on one another. And, Lord, we're praying that every time we come together to worship you, God, we see your glory. We see your presence. We see and feel you all around us. We feel a sense of peace. We feel a sense of joy. And, God, we show it to you, oh God, that we celebrate you. We thank you. We worship you. We magnify you. We lift up our voices. We lift up our hands and tell you, almighty God, you are almighty God. Lord, we desire to give you glory as it belongs to you. Lord, we desire to worship you before you are worthy to be worshipped. Lord, we want to praise you because, Lord, you've been good to us. And, Lord, we never want to ever use you forsake you or abuse you but lord we want to reverence you be in awe of you and worship you hallelujah Worship him. Hallelujah. If you love him, can you give him a hug? Lord, I love you. Just embrace him. Lord, I love you. Hallelujah. Lord, love him this morning. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you give God a hand clap of praise? Oh, hallelujah.